Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Nice to have uh, you with me today. We had a great guy talk and a bunch of questions left over. I'll, I will put uh, to good use this hour. I think I'll, I'll uh, test to see how my guests do this hour. I've got Rick Matson in studio and John Afonts. John is the worship and community life pastor at Salem Covenant Church. And uh, Rick, is you're with... <laughs> Gosh, if either one of us could remember right now. Yeah, so I just, I just well, have Intervarsity. Intervarsity, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Intervarsity. You've been with them 35 years or so? Yeah, 39. 39. Who's counting? Who's counting? And you do your, your, uh, your route, your going on college campuses, you do that all the time, and you hold forums, and you ask, what are your tough questions? Yeah, traveling evangelist. Traveling evangelist. Yeah. We do stump the chump, and can the chump be, that's me, be yeah. stumped? The answer is yes. Really? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Does it happen every once in a while? Oh, you know, I work more with graduate students these days, so they're yeah. more well-read. And okay. So it's easier to get stumped probably than at the undergrad level, but yeah. I'm stumpable. Yeah, yeah. We had so many good questions that came in. So maybe we'll just go through a couple and then we'll get to um, another topic. But this uh, lovely listener said, my, my India's friend's mother died tragically and suddenly. So we've got cross-cultural and, and uh, Hindu religion. Um, he has heard the gospel, but now he doesn't even think he believes in God after this happened. Any thoughts? I continue to tell him that I'm praying for him and his family. I also use the word of God. Mm. So talking to a, Hin- a Hindu family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Well, first of all, admirable. Uh, love the friendship. Mm. That's a beautiful start. And um, the prayer that you're doing for those families, th- that family is wonderful. Um, I think the immediate responses to grief uh, are often things like anger and rejection or pushing back. And um, it seems easy to blame, look for someone to blame for our pain. And I would just encourage you to hang in there, keep praying and and keep watching for what God is doing. There's a reason you're in that room. Mm. There's a reason you're in that relationship. Uh, don't be heavy handed, you know, don't try to impose anything, but keep praying and watch for ways that God may open that conversation as your friend's heart heals, strengthens, begins to ask other questions. And yeah, I would add to that, slow down. Don't be in a hurry. This person is grieving. You're in this relationship. Uh, God will open a door and just what you said, Jana, be watching for that door to open. And when it opens, then you can walk through it, and there's a time for witness and a time to talk about these doctrines. Does God exist, and which God is it? And we've got religious pluralism. You've got a cross-cultural relationship here. There's a lot going on. And I would just say, slow down, listen, pray, and enter this relationship lovingly, sensitively, and then at the right time, boldly. Well said, both of you. You guys came out swinging today. 
<laughs> I like it. I'm going to ask some of the other questions now that you guys did so good on the first one. We try. <laughs> All right, here's one that came in. This is from 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Do you think Paul's intensity against the man who had his father's wife is just a situational kind of judgment? Later it says, if he's guilty of sexual immorality or greed or an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a person. Purge the evil person. That's in verse 13. My thought was, man, if we purged everyone guilty of those things, we would have a very sparse group of people in the church. (laughs) Yeah, especially greed, right? Mm. (laughs) Mm. Um, Yeah, I think that uh, always to remember when we come to the letters that these are situational writings. That doesn't mean that there aren't universal truths. We are always moving toward the universal, but to understand the situational is often helpful to then bridge to what does this mean to us today? And um, the Corinthian church had a lot of disorderedness around what it was proud of mm. and what it held up in its community as being good and important. And we could go into a lot of that, but it's very clear in this that uh, Paul talks about their arrogance around this, mm. this issue, rather than feeling uh, sad, feeling ashamed, um, uh, longing to see transformation in this man's life. They were actually sort of proud of it. And um, Paul, I think, hits with a heavy hammer here because their attitude toward it is so wrong, you know, that there isn't the proper grief here that is going on in the community that this is happening among them, the sexual immorality. And so yeah. I think that's part of the harshness. Yeah, and there's history here too. I mm-hmm. doubt this is an isolated incident. It makes it into the Bible and it makes it into his letters, but right. Paul is cognizant of all the other issues going on in the Corinthian church. The other thing I would say just about interpreting the Bible is that it's tough to go to one place in the Bible, one incident, and then universalize from that. Uh, So we need a whole biblical view of what it means to interact with people who are disobedient, who are not of the faith, uh, who could bring us down, who are doing wrong things. And then uh, do we just want to be involved in Christian fellowship all the time? Is it just a holy huddle? (laughs) So there's these two extremes. I spend all my time in the world with people who are... uh, misbehaving in God's sight, let's say, or I spend all my time with Christians. And uh, those are the two extremes. And then somewhere along the line, you start to make these judgments about, well, should I be shunning this person? Because this is one of the shunning passages. Mm-hmm. Right. This uh, is church yeah, discipline yeah, right, stuff, right? right. Or, or not. Uh, and so if you, dis- I've been in a situation where we shunned a person and it was weird, but I <laughs> thought it was justified. Mm-hmm. But what went into that shunning situation, I remember, is a long process of talking with that person, of uh, warning them over and over, say, this behavior is not allowed in our church. And then they would dis- disobey that. And then we would go back to them and say, now, if you do this again, there's going to be consequences. And then they did it again. So the third or fourth time, uh, we finally had to say, we don't ever do this, but right now we feel like God is leading us to shun you. That seems really weird. <laughs> but for the good of the body, it wasn't just uh, this person and their life. It was the life of the whole body. And the damage. And the damage, was, right? The yeah. collateral damage, you might say. 
And so after a long process, then we finally did agree to to carry that out. Wow. <laughs> that was it's you can use the word harsh there. And it seems to match up with using the word harsh here in right. First Corinthians five. Yeah, I think whenever we're talking about church discipline, you do want that larger reading of Scripture. Yes. And to be really thoughtful about that, there are passages that lay out how we confront and bring others and confront. Like, there's a process here. This isn't just you had a moment of greed, and so I'm not going to eat with you anymore, you know, but this is unrepentant sin. And in this community, this is even sin that they're kind of bragging about, you know. Corinthians are good at that. All right, here's a question, and this might be one of those questions you've had before at one of your meetings, but the translation differences. When we have different translations, and the listener said uh, some add or take away or change the meanings altogether, which Scripture strictly opposes doing. What do you think about translation differences? Yeah, I mean, the whole area of translation, I think, is a super interesting and complicated uh, subject. Uh, I don't know exactly where to jump in, so just jump in someplace, Rick. (laughs) Uh, Let's just start with a translation like the New International uh, Version. You've got scholars who are familiar with the ancient languages and scholars who are familiar not just with the ancient biblical language, but the language as it's used in that culture. And so when you make word choices and meaning choices, uh, looking back at the ancient manuscripts, you're doing so in the context of that culture. That's what's so key here. Now, some translations like the NIV are, uh, try to kind of get at the meaning of the text using paragraphs, using sentences. And then other uh, translations like the New American Standard Bible, the NASB would be a classic example of this, sort of a more of a word-for-word translation and you have everything in between. But you know what? I, I, I trust our scholars to do good work here. And sometimes there are minor disagreements among scholars, but you know what? 99% of the time, the scholars, even from the different translations, are agreeing with each other, and they might be putting the same thought in a different uh, phrase. Nuance, but it's still Nuance, but it's still the same thought. Uh, so... I think we've actually in really good shape these days, and it's getting better. The more we know about the ancient world, the more we can contextualize the uh, the ancient manuscripts that we have in their own settings so that we know what the author's intended. Right. And when we get at that author's intent and we then translate that into contemporary language, then we really are translating the Word of God. Yeah. And I would encourage people even not to get discouraged about this, but actually keep on hand several translations. No. Don't be afraid of that if you're doing a Bible study. Kind of take a look at multiple translations and watch these scholars trying to get at what that author is saying. So I'd encourage you, I, I whenever I'm doing a sermon, I do no less than read that passage in three different translations just to make sure that I've kind of delved into um, the richness of what those original words could have meant. Sometimes I go back and I read the disputes among scholars about how mm-hmm. they're translating things. And uh, they're just doing great work. I, <laughs> and and the, the disputes are meaningful, but I can't think of any disputes right now among scholars that I know of anyway. I'm not an expert in this, but I, I more than dabble in it, where any major doctrine 
is mm-hmm. affected. The deity of Christ, right. the authority of the apostles. You know, nothing mm-hmm. like that is in dispute when the translators disagree with each other. A listener, I, want, I don't want to frustrate my listener that sent in this, this comment because it was the continuation of a topic we talked about last week on Guy Talk, and it was out of Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3. And he said, would you uh, talk about this? And I, I read it in the NIV version, and he's, he was kind of hoping I would have read it in the King James version, oh, which is what he read. And he right. felt like it was uh, much more um, uh, easy to understand. Mm. So I will read the two and let you guys uh, hash it out. Uh, Ephesians 5.3 says, but among you, this is NIV, among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. That's how I read it. And now in the King James Version, it reads this way, but fornication and all uncleanliness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. Hmm. Well, unless we go back and look at the Greek and look at the thought processes of the scholars who translated the Greek, it's going to be really tough to tease this out. Okay. If one seems more clear to me than the other, that may not be a good indication of which is the best translation. Right. Okay. That may be more a function of me and my ability and my background <laughs> in reading than it is the translation itself. Yeah. So we'd really have to go back and uh, parse out the Greek on this one. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, and I would just say, whenever you're using the King James <clears throat> Bible, I, 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 it's the Bible. I love it I, because it's very poetic. It's very beautiful, and I'm an English major, and so I love often, especially the Psalms in the King James. I love it, um, but we do have to be cautious because <clears throat> that was written hundreds of years ago, and we have learned so much about the languages. We have learned so. We actually have older manuscripts now that have been discovered since the scholars at the King James time were writing. So I would just always say, um, read the King James. It is beautiful, but just be aware that we are doing much better biblical translation now simply because we know more now. Than we did in the 17th century. Right. Yeah. All right. Let me take a little break. Rick Manson and John Afonso are my guests. Uh, if you have questions, we'll still take them because the it's great. 877-933-2484. Be right back. I'm back with Rick Matson and John Afonso. We are. We haven't even gotten to our topic yet today. <laughs> I've, even, I've even forgotten what our topic is. We'll get to it later, though. I, I'm outreach. sure we will. Outreach, yeah. It's always outreach, right? Yeah. But uh, we still have a couple more questions coming in, and Patrice wants to know, uh, due to the newer translations, what Bible do you recommend? I don't know. What are you reading these days, Jenna? Yeah. Oh, that's great. I, um... I, for readability, I really like the NLT, mm-hmm. uh, the New Living Translation. I really like it. It's extremely readable. Sometimes I think that the they choose uh, 
they make choices. They they um, make unambiguous things that are ambiguous, hmm, but right, it they makes simplify. it right. Yeah, but it makes much. it very readable. Yes. So I would just depending on where you are in your faith. If you're doing technical study, I actually would strongly recommend you do um, a translation like the NASB and the NIV that are doing the word and paragraph kind of things. So you can watch the translators working like that. But um, for just sheer readability, I think the NLT mm, is a really nice call. translation. Uh, English Standard Version as well, ESV. I really like the ESV too. Yeah. It's yeah. good. And I read in the original Greek, so there you go. <laughs> nice oh, going. Wow. Yeah. wow. Yeah. And you speak Koine Greek. <laughs> yes, I do. Yes, yes okay. I do. Yeah. <laughs> um, Mazel tov. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> All right, comment, please, on the two thieves on the cross next to Christ. One name was written down, one wasn't. And comment on the style of his prayer of repentance. Hmm. Interesting thought. I don't have the passage in front of me. My recall isn't that precise. That's okay. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I mean, the the repentant prayer is... uh, you know, remember, remember me, me. Oh, when you come it. into mm-hmm. your kingdom, yeah. uh, and and his repentance is um, uh, he is he rebukes the other thief on the cross that is um, uh, kind of joining in the mocking, the mocking. that's mm-hmm. going yes. Right. Yes. around, and um, and he says we deserve what we're getting. He doesn't. Mm. I mean, he recognizes the innocence mm. of Jesus. So obviously, there is some interaction there beforehand he knew something about jesus there you know uh for all the events that had happened in jerusalem for a couple of weeks there or the three years that jesus administered obviously this man had encountered him at some level and um for him to turn to the dying jesus and say remember me when you come into your kingdom is a very profound statement of faith because right now all Jesus' disciples have either scattered or they're on the ground grieving in stunned shock that Jesus is not the Messiah because Messiahs don't get crucified. The the kingdom that they were dreaming about is coming to an end as they are watching Jesus die. But this thief, this man, actually prays this prayer um, still honoring Jesus as Messiah as he is hanging on the cross. Oh, I got goosebumps. It's a powerful no moment kidding. of insight for him. Gold star for Jonna. And I think zooming out, we can say that in... Don't ever use the word zoom. Everyone's <laughs> sick of the word zoom. No, I am zoomed out. That's the problem. I'm oh, so well, zoomed out. If you use it in that context, I'll, yeah, I'll accept yeah, that. That's right. That's, yeah, Going to 30,000 feet, Bill. <laughs> yeah, maybe 20,000. Uh, It's always a proper response to God or to the coming Christ in our life or in the first century, the coming Messiah. It's always a proper response to repent, to be humble, to confess. When God shows up, what do we do? Uh, Celebrate. Okay, in in a little while we'll celebrate, okay? First thing is to uh, repent. When the light comes, the darkness recognizes that it's in darkness and it humbles itself before the mighty God, or in this case, the God dying on the cross. And that's always a proper response. And then we can celebrate after that, maybe. Right. Mm-hmm. All right. We just have a few minutes before we go to the bottom of the hour break. And then we'll get to the prepared material. <laughs> right? Excellent. I guess so. So I've got an- another question here. I have a friend that argues 
that the food rules of the Old Testament are still in effect. Are there other passages than Paul's vision that have changed those rules for our diet? You know, I would go to Acts. Of course, I'd go to the uh, Council of Jerusalem. I think that's Acts 15, where they say, here are the few things to hold on to as they were thinking about Gentiles and Jewish Christians like trying to do community together and eat meals together. And they really stripped that list down. So that might be another place to look. Um, and certainly Paul gets mad at Peter uh, in, uh, in also, I believe, in Acts, or actually was in one of the, the letters, I think, where he confronts him to his face because Peter began to separate himself when there were some Jews in the room where he had been fellowshipping comfortably with Gentiles. And so there's, uh, there's definitely strong evidence that the idea is, is that we want community together. But as even Jesus taught, it's not what you put into your body that makes you unclean. You know, it's that the words that come out or the actions that come out that create uncleanness. And I think theologically, uh, Jesus is saying to the world when he shows up, I fulfilled the law. You don't really need to do the law anymore, especially the ceremonial law, the laws of purity and temple law. That's all taken care of. Now, there are certain moral laws that I'm expanding and that I'm fulfilling in a different way. But we're doing away with a lot of the rituals because you don't need to anymore. It's not about that. It is, but the moral law uh, is expanded. So, for example, where the Old Testament uh, says don't commit adultery, Jesus says, yeah, don't even do it in your, in your mind. I'm going to expand that. Or the Old Testament says an eye for an eye, a tooth for tooth, and Jesus changes, expands that. Well, if someone curses you, bless them back. If he strikes you on this cheek, turn the other cheek, and so forth. Uh, but those temple laws, those purity laws, uh, and those food uh, rituals, those are already fulfilled in Jesus. We don't need to do them in order to please God. That would be more of a theological response. Yeah, very nicely done. All right, we'll take a break. When we come back, uh, we're going to get into the prepared material, which I'm looking forward to. Uh, Rick Matson is my guest and John Afonso. Rick has written a couple books. One is called Faith Like Skydiving and Other Memorable Images for Dialogue with Seekers and Skeptics. And another book called Faith Unexpected, Real Stories of People Who Found but they never imagined. And Jonna is the uh, worship and community life pastor at Salem Covenant Church. And they're uh, so gracious to be with me here today. Now, we will take some questions if you still have a few. Otherwise, we'll get to the prepared material when we come back. <laughs> and I think we're focusing on outreach today. Mm, which is, uh, I think mm-hmm. it's a common recurring subject with us, which I love. <laughs> there's, there's, never an, there's never too much of that. So we'll take a little break. When we come back, we'll have Jonna and Rick to answer your questions or we're going to proceed with the prepared material.
So glad to have Rick Matson and John Afonso in the studio. We're going to talk about uh, outreach. And so here's a big loaded question. Why don't we evangelize more? <laughs> I have That's no idea. <laughs> Next question. Yeah. No, we're sticking on this one okay. for a while. Well, I think we do have some images of evangelism mm-hmm. that are not true. Uh, we think of witness as imposing our beliefs on other people. Yes. We think of it as this uh, slick salesmanship or that you have to get all judgmental on people, and it's very arrogant. We talk down to people. I mean, all these images that are somehow make it into a popular parlance, those are not true. That's not biblical evangelism. In fact, if that were evangelism, I wouldn't do it either. Of course, there's always silent evangelism where you use words if necessary, but of course, the Scripture does call us to use words, and they are necessary. Faith, faith so comes actions. by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And hearing That's by the exactly Word of God. right. Yeah. 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 You were going to say something, too, about why people don't Yeah, I think, you know, as I've uh, just, uh, you know, doing some research and, and, and looking around and listening to stories and then examining my own heart, I think that there are several things. Like sometimes I think that Christians just isolate themselves from unbelievers. We're so busy in the church and we're busy with our Christian friends and in our small groups and um, that we often slowly our relationships with non-believers erode and we lose them. And so there's just no one in our lives that we really could have a really deep conversation with. Um, I think uh, a little bit of what Rick was saying, we believe that evangelism is extraordinary. It's something really odd and different. And put on your evangelism hat. Yes. You got to be super powered (laughs) instead of seeing it as just a part of life. And I want to own that there's resistance in our culture. I mean, we live in a culture that is pluralistic, that is relativistic and, and, and sometimes sharing the truth that has changed your life can feel like you're swimming against a current that says everybody's got their truth. And to be honest, our culture is very busy. And if you've got a ton to do, it's pretty hard to spend time uh, talking about faith and these deeper conversations. I do think that we need to give our unbelieving friends more credit than Mm. we do. Uh, They are more interested in substantive, uh, caring conversations than we think they are. We think they can't handle anything, that any mention of religion is just going to set them off. That's not true. No. When I sit down with my friends who are not Christians, and they all know that I'm a Christian, that's the first thing I put out there. (laughs) And we just talk about life, and we talk about pain, and we talk about belief, and we talk about beliefs, and we talk about religion, the Bible, the church. All those topics are fair game. And they are more willing to talk about them in a sane way. Unless I get all preachy and everything. I don't need to do that to be a witness. But they're more willing to talk about those things in a calm, sane, caring, fun way with a little humor. Huh, Bill? Mm -hmm. Humor helps. I go for that. Thank you. 
uh, than we think they are, and we need to, need to give them more credit. In fact, you were telling me a story. Yeah. I want you to tell the story of your friend at the uh, at the club. That you yeah, were talking about. so I was at a, a I, it's actually called the Jewish Community Center in St. Paul. Uh, it was where I was working out, and there was a there was a hot tub, in, or there used to be, in the women's locker room. And so you would go work out and then inevitably end up in the hot tub and chat it up with whoever was there. And there was a gal in the hot tub and just asked, started talking and asking questions and she asked me if I was Jewish because of course I'm at the Jewish Community Center and I said no I'm a Christian I said are you Jewish and she said yes and it just opened up Mm. this wonderful conversation where she asked me about my faith and my beliefs and I asked her about hers and in the end one of the comments that she made is she said that was so wonderful it's Hmm. like nobody talks talks about this they don't it's like it, it all gets so awkward. She said it was just so natural. And thank you. I feel like I understand Christianity just a little bit better. You know? Speaking of Jewish folks, love them. <laughs> I was on a plane going down to St. Louis, met this uh, college student who was sitting. She's in uh, 9A. I'm in 9C. There's an empty seat between us, and we got chatting. And she was at uh, Washington University. And one thing led to another, and I said, well, have you ever heard of InterVarsity at WashU? She goes, well, I don't go, but I'm Jewish. I have a couple of friends that go. And I said, well, you should check it out sometime. You might like it. And then we talked about Judaism a little bit and Christianity. And it was just so natural. I wasn't, like, trying to force anything. And then at some point, she asked me the most amazing question <laughs> I have heard maybe ever in a conversation like this. And she said, I have a question for you, and I really want you to answer honestly. And there's this dramatic pause. Okay, well, what is it? She goes, am I going to hell? And I said, Ruth, uh, she goes, no, just tell me. I want you to be honest with me. Uh, Don't sugarcoat this. Just tell me, am I going to hell? (laughs) And so then I said, well, what do you mean by hell? And let's talk about what hell is. And then, so we did a little bit. And then I said, well, here's kind of our version of hell that we think the scripture teaches. And if you came to believe in this hell and didn't want to be there, a place where God isn't, and maybe there's some suffering involved, then maybe Maybe. you should consider, (laughs) yeah, you should consider Christ for your life. Mm -hmm. And it's not just a get out of jail card here. It's a way to unite with him in eternity. So it, one thing led to another, but it just reminded me that Quite often, probably more than we think, people really do want to talk about these issues, and we think they're just going to be offended and that we can't go there. But some people, they're just so thankful to have this conversation because that conversation is not being had out there. Yeah. John, I was thinking of the woman asking in the hot tub if, mm. if you were Jewish, and you could, you could have said, no, but I'm madly in love with a Jewish carpenter. Yeah, nice. <laughs> oh, nice. good Gosh. line, Bill. That would have gotten her her interest. Yeah. Good line. That's right. Well, yeah. at McAllister, where I worked for many years, the Jewish rabbi there was a good friend of mine. So he and I would have private discussions about religious topics, and they were so rich that we brought them into the public. And so MJO, that being Mac Jewish Organization, and MCF, um, McAllister Christian Fellowship, the two groups would get together and talk about, have a religious discussion. And everyone loved it. And, and I remember students would say, why can't we do this more often? Why are these topics so <laughs> off limits? And when you're respectful, caring, throw a little Bill Arnold humor once in a while. (laughs) These conversations can, they really can be had. And it can be a natural thing rather than this 
other evangelistic deal right. that you're doing where we have to get all weird about it. Right. I don't want to get all, weird yeah, about and it. And all knowing. Awkward. Like, and, I know ooh. everything. Yeah, yeah and, right. Yeah. Talking uh, down to you. Right. Uh, not at all. Do you think people, when they're when you're sharing Christ with them, that they sense that you might be a little self-righteous because you claim to know the truth? Well, I am self-righteous. Next question. (laughs) (laughs) No, No, I think... But we do know the truth. Yeah. We do know the truth. Yeah. Right. But I think I like to posture myself, truly, not just feigning this, posture myself as a sinner saved by God's grace. And now you get one beggar sharing where to get bread with another beggar. Mm Mm-hmm. If I come in as all high and mighty mm-hmm. and t- start talking down to people, that's a different matter. But if I talk across the table or even up to them, like, hey, I'm a sinner saved by God, God's grace, and I want to share that news with everyone that I know, then that's a different conversation. Yeah. And, you know, Rick, you talk often. I think that posture, yeah, you can smell arrogance a yeah. mile away, right? Yep. So if you've got just a thread of an often, I think our arrogance is a front for insecurity. Mm. And uh, so we feel kind of insecure, and so we get big and kind of mm-hmm. arrogant about something or make big statements or get preachy. And But you talk a lot about this idea of assuming that God is already moving already there. here. He's already there. And so uh, this isn't about me, and this isn't about the truth that I found. This is about me figuring out what God's doing and just trying to kind of jump in and be part of that. And I think that kind of humility can help um, because in our culture where we do have this very relativistic kind of picture of um, of uh, religion and faith, um, it can't. We're making some truth claims. But I don't think when we're in these conversations with people that we ever want, like, it is Jesus that must, just yep. like Jesus presented himself to me and saved me and captured my heart, that's Jesus, it's Jesus' job to save this person mm-hmm. and to capture them. It's not me having to push anything on them. It's not about my truth claims. It's about the truth claims that Jesus is making. I'm merely relaying those to somebody else. Jesus is the pro here. I'm the amateur who believes him. And I'm the spokesperson that he's called uh, to communicate this uh, truth to other people. And I just want to say that we are second in the door. You just said it, John. Uh, uh, God is uh, prior, I, I think A.W. Tozer said, God is prior. We are secondary. So God got there first. Our job is one of research, one of discernment to figure out what God is already doing in the life of that other person to participate. So you can go to Acts 8 for this, where Philip arrives with the Ethiopian eunuch and God had already called him there. Or in Acts 16, Paul arrives in uh, Macedonia, in Philippi. And God had already been working in the life of Lydia. The text says that God opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. God got there first. Paul is second one in the door. But then we do have to take a risk. It usually doesn't just land in our laps. Uh, We have to take a risk in order to participate in God's work. So we have to ask questions. Uh, we have to listen in stereo, listen to the Holy Spirit with one ear and to this person with the other ear, and then take the risk to ask a brave question, uh, what is God doing here and how can I uh, join in? 
Here's a timely verse I memorized less this morning at about 3 a.m. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's a timely verse. It's De- Deuteronomy 31.8. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you Perfect. and will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Did you know we were coming on today? <laughs> I think that's I checked the schedule, but yeah. Quite a coincidence that you Why? would mention that verse. Why? Because yeah. that's the perfect verse to encapsulate what we're talking about here. And I, I literally, yeah. I memorized that verse at three in the morning. Oh, good grief. Yeah. <clears throat> I can recommend some good sleeping pills to you <laughs> if you need them. <laughs> yeah, I think that, um, I think that I, what I always want to encourage that there are, all kinds of um, reasons why we as followers of Jesus don't evangelize. And in fact, I kind of did a Google search because I was asking what uh, the question I asked Google was, what is the cost of not evangelizing? And there were no articles on that. I just want you to know there was all kinds of things about the cost of evangelism, which was really interesting to me. So as I sort of reflected on our talk today, I began to think about how when we don't share the gospel with others, when we don't um, take that step, that some of the wonder and the beauty of the kingdom of God is lost to us. We don't get to see the kingdom gain ground, and it flattens our faith. Our own experience of um, Christianity is limited because we have limited the work that God can do in us and through us. We become disconnected with Jesus' work in the world. Uh, We've drawn lines about things that, you know, like, I just don't want to be uncomfortable or "I'm I'm not worthy or I don't know enough or I'm not gifted enough or they're not going to believe me, whatever those things are that we say. We've actually decided that there's a work in the world that Jesus is doing that we will not participate in and we won't experience. And I think most tragically, we end up giving in to Satan. Um, we miss out on overcoming. And the scripture I'm thinking about is Revelation 12:11, And this is the ESV, by the way. And it says, it's talking about um, the, the people robed in right white around the throne of God. And it says about them, they have conquered him, which we know from the scriptures above is the accuser or Satan. They have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And there is just a conquering that we will never get to experience. There is a freedom from the rule and reign of evil and Satan in our lives that we will never get to experience until we are willing to step out into this. So I think the cost of not evangelizing to our lives and our experience of the kingdom of God is grave. The kingdom by its very nature is missional. It by its nature it is outreaching. And if we don't participate in that mission, in that outreach, there's a whole dimension of the kingdom that we're not participating in. Right. And the kingdom then kind of shrinks around us, I would say. And that's the the flattening. I thought that was well put. Uh, the word flattening. Our experience of the kingdom uh, f- flattens. And when a whole church gets into that mode, then a whole local congregation experiences the kingdom in a much a muted way in in a way that is shrunk from the biblical vision. 
All right, we'll take a little break. We'll come back uh, with more with Rick Manson and John Afonso. Thanks for your great questions, and this is a wonderful reminder of our need to be out evangelizing in the world, and it just takes a little bit of courage. Remember, God will be with you when you go out there. Be right back. the topic of outreach. It's always great to be talking about outreach with Rick Matson and John Afonso. So Rick, you have some profile of maybe we can learn something about. Yeah, I've been working on this tool called My Evangelism Profile. And uh, it's sort of a personality test for evangelism. It helps you uh, carry out the mission, the ministry of witness in a way that's natural to your God-given I like uh, it. Uh, creational self. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'll, let me just read some of the roles here. And uh, there might be anywhere from one to four roles that you can combine together. Okay. And that would be your profile. So you might be an apologist like me, or you might be an artist. Uh, maybe you're more gifted as an artist in art and creativity is just in your bones. Jana, you've got some of this in you. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you put this down as one of your main it was, roles. Yeah. Okay. I'm a poet. I love writing poetry. Yeah, yeah you and... write great poetry. And that can be used by God. And it's natural to you. Right. So it's not something that you have to go out and kind of manufacture. Right. Uh, it's fun for you. It's enjoyable for you. And it flows out of who you And it becomes a natural are. place to even connect as I take classes or join writing groups or things like that. My art just along with other artists, becomes a way that we connect and right. my faith gets expressed. Uh, there's 16 of them here. I'll just uh, sample a few of them. One is a farmer sower, someone who scatters the seed widely. That would be me. I get in a thousand conversations every week. I can't help it. I don't have to go force the issue to get into conversations. It's Uber drivers. It's buddies in the golf course. It's students on campus. It's professors I it, it's it's a natural way for me to uh, to to witness, and this is the sort of person who just gets into a ton of those conversations. Uh, let's see here. Number seven is healer. Did you relate to this one at all? A healer mm-hmm. is someone who has faith uh, that God wants to heal people physically, emotionally, and spiritually, and kind of wades into the trenches with people. And walks alongside them and prays for them and does so in faith and does so in community. And it's direct ministry and it's tiring. <laughs> I think for a lot of us, it's like, oh, no thanks. I could dabble in that, but I don't want to do it as my main thing. But some people just thrive on that. Yeah. Uh, here's a good one. A hospitality evangelist. I could see you in this, Jana, totally. Uh, someone who just enjoys hosting people for parties, dinners, outings. Uh, food is usually involved. Conversation. And what this hospitality evangelist does, uh, they can also host host one-to-one conversations and draw other people out and step into their lives. Do you feel like that's one of yours? Yeah. In fact, I was just going to share this summer, um, We, uh, my husband and I uh, did a little dinner party at, out on our deck, and we invited our neighbor on one side to come join us. And uh, she is not a person of faith, although Catholic in her background, so some faith background. And we, uh, so we threw this really beautiful dinner. She was so excited. She couldn't believe it. She thought it was so 
beautiful. And then we just opened by praying in the meal. And when we said amen and opened our eyes, there were tears Mm. running down her Mm. face. And she Mm. was just like, that was so beautiful to hear prayer. Mm. And it's just opened this conversation with her that's Mm -hmm. really great. A justice advocate, uh, Mm -hmm. sharing Jesus' name while working for uh, social justice. Fantastic. Uh, Skipping down here, a servant evangelist, someone who loves to meet the needs in the physical world of other people. Mow lawns, take care of kids, do projects. Drop off meals. Drop off meals, that sort of thing. And then uh, share Christ in and through that. How about a teacher evangelist? I really relate to this one. I'm a natural born teacher. And there's uh, opportunities out there to teach the gospel to Christians and to non-Christians. Number 15 is a wise counselor, someone who uh, goes deep with a few, uh, who is sought out by other people. And as you give wise advice to people in their struggles, uh, you share the gospel. Uh, The 16th one here is a writer. Someone who's just a natural born writer. I, I feel some of that as well. I enjoy writing. And uh, again, you're not manufacturing these things, not something I want to become good at, but you just feel naturally gifted for it. And then when you work in those particular areas of your witness, you're probably going to see more fruit because it comes more naturally to you than if you uh, sort of force the issue through some of these other roles. Anyway, we can, Bill, I think, can we uh, post a link to uh, my evangelism profile? Sure, I bet there would be a lot of people that would yeah. enjoy and if people want to go, it. Yeah, thank you. And if people want to go in and figure out uh, their top one to three roles so they can figure out what it, my evangelism profile is for their lives, uh, they can do so. Lauren Sandy, who is one of the, the guys who was at the ground level of the navigators. Yes. That Lauren Sandy. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I got to know him just a little bit. And he said that I was, he's a farmer. He was a farmer. And he said that my gift was a scarifier. <laughs> I said, what's a scarifier? He said, it's the tool that breaks up the soil so the seed can go in it. Wow. Cool. Nice. Well, that was kind what of interesting. a beautiful picture. Yeah, because yeah. sometimes I can... Uh, I get With your to, humor. Yeah, and, I just, yeah. yeah, I did a lot of prison ministry, and, and I would usually enter a, a room with, you know, 100 and 200 inmates, and they'd all have their arms crossed, and, you know, 15 minutes later, their arms are not crossed, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. they're laughing, and they're relaxed, and now someone can come in and plant the seed. Right. Bill, so I, thought, I learned the, the phrase uh, pre-evangelism from the Ministry of Young Life, okay. which works with uh, middle school and high school kids. And it's all the tilling of the soil uh, and uh, breaking up ground, establishing trust, establishing friendship uh, so that uh, the gospel can go forth. I like that. So we will put that up um, under this segment for today's episode. So there'll be a link. They can just click on it, I would imagine, and then go take the diagnostic test to see where they fit in on the evangelism scale. Yeah, it's really easy. You can do it in 20 minutes. And I would just say that, um, uh, you know, we kind of started the show by describing this kind of um, overbearing evangelism, this kind of caricature that we have that many of us would say, if that was evangelism, then I don't want to do it. And I do think that this profile is sort of a lovely way of beginning to see yourself as an evangelist. If you have Jesus as your Savior, you are an evangelist, and God has shaped you with uh, gifts and passions and a way of sharing his gospel. And I think this profile might be a really neat way to kind of get at that for you a little bit. Yeah, you can do it in a way that is natural uh, for yourself, kind of in your style, he might say. Mm Mm-hmm.
And it's important to find out what that is because God has loaded you up with gifts and make sure you find the best fit, the right way to use them. It seems like we spend so much of our time trying to shore up our weaknesses <laughs> and not <laughs> enough time just going gung-ho with our strengths, our God-given strengths. There's right. something to that. You sometimes want to do what you're second best at. <laughs> you know, Just to prove. Just, I mean, seriously, sometimes you're gifted at one thing, but you, you struggle to try to do something better that you're not as good at. I don't know if you're trying to prove something to yourself or... Right. You know, it's, like, it's, like the, it's like the singers that you know, play stunningly beautiful music, but they, they want to do the four or six minute monologue before the next song. Yes. And, and you're you like, go, please you're not stop a speaker. talking. You're a singer. You're a terrible speaker. <laughs> but boy, can you sing. Now, I wish you would stop talking and start singing, right? Right. I think the three of us should all start singing right now. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, no, no, no. Singing yeah. right now. See what happens. But I remember seeing a marquee for Tony Bennett, and the marquee said, Tony Bennett sings. I thought, perfect. That's just exactly That's what I what want. That's what That's do. precisely yeah. what yeah. I came here for. Yeah, but, you know, if you're a singer-songwriter and you think, well, I, I want to get better at storytelling and I want to be funny and all that stuff, so you start working on that, and turns out maybe you never fully develop because God's given you these incredible gifts of music. So Right. Yeah. Right. All right, that kind of is all the time we have. Thanks oh, so much. Oh, that went fast. It's great to be yeah, went here. fast. Yes. Thank <laughs> you so much, Rick Manson, John Fotz. That is all the show we have for today. I appreciate all of you tuning in and listening today, and I appreciate you supporting Faith Radio and caring about us here and the shows and us personally, and we feel that uh, deeply. So uh, I hope you have a great night. I'm looking forward to our time tomorrow. So as you lay your head on the pillow and get some rest tonight, let God restore you and just know that he always has his eyes upon you and he loves you. And I do too. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.